Sports Today on Broadway for Monday, June 3rd, June 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. It's busting out all over. Oh, or or so is Joan, depending on uh, yes. how you pronounce things. This right. is true. Yeah. Uh, and where are we? Oh, and, and my name is James Marino from Broadway yes. Video. Yes, um, and Broadway stars. Um, we we had a huge weekend uh, in the podcast feed, James. We started with Jane Simpson's latest episode of Stagecraft with Jesse Eisenberg, a uh, huge star both as an actor but also as a playwright. He penned the play Happy Talk, which is currently running at the Signature Theater via the new group, which stars – I. A newcomer to the scene, Susan Sarandon. Yeah, um, you might, might be like familiar. That. Might be familiar with her for destroying our country uh, <laughs> four years ago. Anyway, um, uh, anyway. So uh, always great to hear that. I had uh, our fourth annual Broadway Radio Tony Omnibus episode with four Tony nominees and two journalists uh, on Saturday as well. Those Tony nominees included Beth Level, uh, David Corrins, uh, Dominique Moriso. And Warren Carlyle, uh, take a listen to that. That's that's a good two hours and seven minutes uh, of your life that that you can uh, hopefully spread out over the rest of the week. <laughs> and then on Sunday, James, you, Peter, and Michael had your annual Tony Awards predictions episode. And I gotta say, I was angry at times. I I, I was I was not Were you? not I was not feeling uh, on the same page. Uh, as some of those predictions, um, so uh, I, I'd like to hear more about that. Like, wh- which predictions were you not in line with? Um, well, we're we're going to talk about predictions a little more throughout the week. Okay. But uh, some of the some of the things. Well, here here's an example, and I will never ever second guess Peter Felicia because he very well might know more information about things than I do, which is obviously true in every situation, but especially in this, he said something along the lines of that perhaps the uh, voters might not be in favor of voting for something like Town because they don't think it will tour as well because um, he thought that because the bands visit one last year, and then he went on to say that it was not selling well on tour. The thing is, the, the band's visit tour hasn't launched yet. Um, and it launches this summer in July. So well, perhaps he's true. He, it's not selling well then. Yeah. It's not yeah, selling at all. Well, it's, it's maybe, not out maybe there. It's <laughs> yeah. So I, things like that. I was like, what? Um, but then also, James, I will. Um, this didn't make me angry, but uh, you mentioned Andre DeShields um, in kind of his trajectory with Hades Town. I did not know this, but in a, a recent Sirius XM um, interview with uh, the principal cast and Anais Mitchell, Andre DeShields actually did one of the very early workshops of Hades Town, which I did not know. Then he didn't. He was not involved at New York Theater Workshop that uh, Hermes was played by Chris Sullivan and you can hear him on the New York Theater Workshop album he left the production to go play Toby on This Is Us a major big TV hit and then when they went to Edmonton Kingsley Legs played Hermes he is now in the cast of Pretty Woman and then DeShields came back um, for the National Theater in London and Andre said in the interview that he this isn't the 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 type of of uh, quote that I would have made for this, but he said that he infected the role with his DNA so that he knew he mm-hmm. could someday come back to it. So uh, while Andre did not originate the role in the first onstage production, he was involved from from very early on. All right. So um, speaking of Hades Town, 
and the various different uh, prognostications that we made on this week on Broadway on Sunday. Uh, does that uh, is it tracking well with the uh, Drama Desk results? Um, yes and no, because uh, Hades Town was not eligible in all of the categories for the Drama Desk mm-hmm. because of its yeah. previous New York Theater Workshop uh, run. So some of the categories that was not eligible in were Best Musical. And then Amber Gray and Patrick Page were both not eligible in their respective featured actor and actress categories. But we did have the Drama Desk, the 64th annual Drama Desks on Sunday night, hosted by Michael Urie. It came to us from the town hall. But unless you were there, you would never know because there was no live stream this year for us to watch. And we just had to follow the tweets. But, James, you are a Drama Desk uh, member and a Drama Desk voter. So um, you are part of this. So uh, if there is anything that... uh, we talk about in terms of the winners that you feel uh, annoyed by your voting brethren and sisterin. Uh, feel feel free to chime in. I'm going to run sure. through the 12 big categories. First off, the winner in Outstanding Play went to The Ferryman. Outstanding Musical was The Prom. Hello. What now? Um, Outstanding Revival of a Play went to The Waverly Gallery. Outstanding Revival of a Musical, Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Outstanding Actor in a Play, J.O. Sanders for Uncle Vanya. This category did not have a single nominee from a Broadway show, so keep that in mind. Outstanding Actress in a Play went to Elaine May from the Waverly Gallery. Outstanding Actor in a Musical went to Santino Fontana from Tootsie. Outstanding Actress in a Musical was Stephanie J. Block for The Share Show. Outstanding Featured Actor in a Play, Tom Glenn Carney for The Ferryman. Outstanding Featured Actress in a Play, Celia Keenan-Bolger for To Kill a Mockingbird. Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical, Andre DeShields, there you go, for Town. Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical, Ali Stroker for Oklahoma. Outstanding Director of a Play, Sam Mendez for The Ferryman. Outstanding Director of a Musical, Rachel Chavkin for Hadestown. And Outstanding, or I'm going to keep going. Outstanding Choreography, Warren Carlyle for Kiss Me Kate. Outstanding Music, David Yazbek for Tootsie. Huh? Yeah, outstanding, I, I outstanding, saw that and I was like, wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> outstanding Lyrics, David Yazbek for Tootsie. Double, huh? Uh, and then outstanding book of a musical went to Robert Horn, also for Tootsie. I guess that one's less of a surprise than the two music ones. Um, but James, David Levy, uh, our friend David Levy, sent out a tweet this morning that I saw as I was kind of finishing up the script. He said uh, in his tweet, looking at the results of the Drama Desk Awards, you really get a sense of the nominations trying to steer the organization in a direction the voters aren't quite ready to go. Now, I don't know what he exactly was talking about. He said that at 745 in the morning, 15 minutes before we uh, we started recording. But that lines up with one of the things that I had pulled some information about. Only two of those uh, 19 categories um, were things that uh, w- the winners were from off-Broadway shows. That includes that Best Actor in a Play category that did not nominate a single person from a Broadway show. And if you, um, if I do this math, because I think I got it wrong there eventually, um, over half of the nominees in those categories were from Um, I think it was actually 12, two of 12 categories. That's right. Two of those 12 categories that I read um, only went to off-Broadway winners. But by contrast, in those categories, there were 64 total nominees and 40 of them were from off-Broadway shows. So I think what David might be getting at is the fact that while the nominators tried to include things um, from a wider group this season that did not include Broadway, a lot of the winners 
ended up from which you know has a larger voting pool were from Broadway and a little bit more con- conventional in terms of the selection. So I was, you know, I'm on the 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 record of being pro Hades Town and everything, but without them being in some of these categories, I was very much hoping to see something like Rags Parkland. Um, you know, when or in different categories, uh, girl from the North Country or Yiddish Fiddler and, and all those things and, and try to get some opportunities for some of those shows that aren't on Broadway to be recognized. And yet time and time again, as these winner tweets kept coming out, the winners were Broadway shows. Now, I'm considering Broadway shows for something that did have an off Broadway run and then eventually ended up on Broadway, like what the Constitution means to me that didn't win anything. But I'm counting that as a nominee from Broadway. But, uh, you know, a little a little interesting. I mean. You're a voter. I'm not. So it's it just it's kind of interesting that the nominators seem to have more interest in some of the less flashy things than the voters actually did. So David Gordon over at uh, Theater Mania, he replied to David Levy's tweet and and he brought up something that's very, very important. Uh, David Gordon wrote, I think it's a lot, a lot has to do with the fact that the nominators get invited to many things that voters don't. And I'll tell you, I was not invited to Rags Parkland. I couldn't vote for it. Yeah, no, I totally. And that's a that's a problem with your awards. It, it's too it, this. The scope is too too wide. And I, I, I look to the drama desk leadership to, you know, understand and figure out how to address this issue because it, the devil is in the details. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like this year between live streams and uh, we vaguely mentioned some voting issues last week. And when you have a nominator group that is nominating shows that the eventual voters don't have the opportunity to see, that those are problems. And this is the drama desk. This is um, one of the most prestigious awards in New York theater. And if you can't figure out a way to make these things consistent, you're handcuffing yourself in the viability of your awards. And awards – mean different things to different people when it comes to art. But if you want to continue being a part of the conversation, you have to a adapt to the times and B, like you said, make sure that things are, are buttoned up. And and then that you can have, um, I don't want to throw shade too much, but just, just you can get the logistics of things handled. And and last night, whether it's the awards or the live stream or the winners or whatever, it just feels like the drama desks is treading water and trying to keep its head above water. And I'm not sure that it's doing that well. Yeah, the media and press room, if you can call it a media and press room or just various different places where they let journalists hang out uh the the feed to these rooms for these journalists covering the drama desk did not work so how 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 are we supposed to cover this thing when it doesn't work now all we can do is regurgitate a press release um and that 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 it's not the type of thing i'd like to be a part of i i i am am starting a new campaign here james i am saying James Marino for Drama Desk president. Is there a uh, president? I don't, I don't know if there's a Drama Desk president, but if there is, I'm James Marino will clean up that <laughs> clean up that organization. 
Hashtag lab rat. <laughs> All right. So let's move forward on, uh, shockingly, that was uh, Sunday night. So let's cover Friday night. On Friday night, Scott Rudin sent out another surprising, oddly timed press release. Yes, James, he did. Uh, we already know that J- that Scott Rudin doesn't abide by traditional press schedules, sending things out whenever he darn well pleases. And he did that again on Friday night when just shy of a quarter after 8 p.m. we got a release announcing that the Broadway revival of William Shakespeare's King Lear, starring Glenda Jackson, Jane Howdyshell, Ruth Wilson, Elizabeth Marvel, John, John Douglas Thompson, and more, will close post-haste on Tony Sunday, June 9th. James, as we've discussed, the grosses of King Lear haven't been great. It's only been above $600,000 twice, both in mid-April, and last week fell to its lowest point since its three-week preview or three previews uh, in the first week at $358,000. And I suppose that all of those stars don't come cheap. This one will probably or probably was one of the most surprising flops of the season for me, James, both from the commercial and the awards perspective. It seemed like everything was lining up to make this one of the can't miss shows of the season. But it it turned out that, in fact, many people, myself included, felt that they could actually miss it. Um, now, James, I know you loved the Scott Rudin produced Samuel Gold, uh, Sam Gold directed Glass Menagerie a few seasons ago, which many people hated. And I feel like you liked this Rudin and Gold collaboration more than many others did. You especially liked Ruth Wilson. Um, but do you think that after two high profile bombs at the box office that Rudin and Gold might have to rethink how they do classic revivals in the future if there is a future for, for them working on stuff like this? I don't know that either of these gentlemen have introspection as part of their daily <laughs> daily life affirmation. Yeah. So well. uh <laughs> not until it not until the money dries up do I think that this will stop. Seems yeah. I mean it's all it's all about the bottom line and and Scott Rudin knows that um he probably can have the money with a snap of a fingers in, in most cases. So we'll, we'll have to see. It's all about the Benjamins. Yes, it is. All right. What do we have in this week's theatrical schedule? Probably nothing well, much going on this no, week, right? Nothing. Nothing at all. Um, but tonight we actually kick off quite an exciting week with the 75th annual Theater World Awards as Peter Felicia, our own Peter Felicia, again returns to host the ceremony, this time at the Neil Simon Theater. Real quick, I want to run through the honorees again. Remember, these awards go to performers who made a memorable Broadway or off-Broadway debut in the season. This year's honorees are Gabinge Akinabe for To Kill a Mockingbird, Tom Glenn Carney for The Ferryman, Sophia Ann Caruso for Beetlejuice, Patty Considine for The Ferryman, James Davis for Oklahoma, Michaela Diamond for The Share Show, Bonnie Milligan for Head Over Heels, Simone Missick for Paradise Blue, Jeremy Pope for both Choir Boy and Ain't Too Proud, Colton Ryan for Girl from the North Country, Stephanie Styles for Kiss Me Cape, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge for Fleabag. The John Willis Award for Lifetime Achievement in the Theater will go to Nathan Lane, and the Dorothy Loudon Award for Excellence in the Theater will go to Hampton Fluker. Congratulations, of course, to all of those winners, all of them I know for a fact. Uh, long-time devoted daily listeners to this show. Of course. Uh, of course, uh, just like Scott Root. Um, then tomorrow night, we have two off-Broadway openings. First, the Manhattan Theater Club's world premiere production of Don- Donald Margolis's new play, The uh, Long Lost. The show is directed by Daniel Sullivan and is currently slated to run through June 30th, starring Kelly O'Coin. 
uh, Annie Parisi, uh, Lee Turgeson, and Alex Wolf in the show when troubled Billy appears out of the blue in his estranged brother David's Wall Street office. He soon tries to reinsert himself into the comfortable life David has built with his philanthropist wife and college-age son. What does Billy really want? Can he be trusted? And how can family bonds smooth over past rifts? Do-do-do. These are the days of our lives. Um, so that one should be interesting there. We love Donald Margolis. Uh, also on Tuesday, primary stages will open Kate Hamill's new adaptation of the classic Louisa May Alcott novel, Little Women, as well as she will play Meg as well. Um, Sarna, Sarna Lapine directs, and the show is on sale through June 29th. Then on Wednesday, the new off-Broadway musical Midnight Street opens over at Theater Row, created and directed by Arnold L. Cohen. Quote, amid the dark and dangerous underbelly of the city, a trio played by Emily Afton, Raphael Jordan and Lenny Wolpe plays out a seductive and lethal turf war against a vivid musical landscape. The show is currently scheduled to play through June 22nd. Then on Thursday, at some point, I don't exactly know when this will be published, James, but I believe that the New York Times as Michael Paulson will release the paper's annual article looking at some of the major categories for the Tony Awards and... They will pull a not insignificant portion of voters. I don't know exactly how many people they talk to, but they will do that in hopes of kind of crystallizing the favorites in some of those categories. Last year, the article correctly predicted or at least raised the possibility of a number of pretty surprising turns, including Once on This Island winning in the musical revival category and um, Tony Shalhoub winning in the best actor in a musical category. So we will obviously talk about this article on Friday's episode as it could give us a lot of great insight into what happens on Sunday. Then uh, on uh, Saturday, LCT3 will begin previews for their newest musical, In the Green, written by great Comet favorite Grace McLean and directed by Lee Sunday Evans. The show tells the story. The, <laughs> this is one of those weird ones we talked about before, James. It's the origin story of one of the medieval history's most powerful and creative women, Hildegard von Bingen. Before she became a healer, a composer, an exorcist, and finally a saint, she was a little girl locked in a cell with her mentor, Judah. James, they released a video of McLean or McLean performing one of the songs from the show called Eve. And it was, as you would expect with her, wild. Um, I will put a link in the show notes um, uh, if you want to check it out. And if I decide to come up to New York next week, you know, the week after Tony's next week, James, um, I may or may not have already bought tickets to see this show as well. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and, and and then on Sunday, of course, it is the big day, the Tony Awards Sunday. But before we get to that, I do have a few closings I want to mention at the end of the week. Uh, on Broadway, we will bid adieu to Network on Saturday. And of course, King Lear, as we talked about before, on Sunday. On the same day on Sunday, off-Broadway, we'll say goodbye to Macbeth and the Bigot. But okay, the thing that we've all anxiously been awaiting for, the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, hosted by James Corden. The show will come to us from Radio City Music Hall and will be aired beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS. Check your local listings. Um, uh, and uh, I think, James, the red carpets usually start between 6 and 6.30 p.m. Uh, I'm not 100% sure exactly when they're kicking off this year. New York One always has a live stream of their pre-show um, and all of the different... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the various theater sites will have their live streams as well. So plenty of uh, red carpet coverage from there. 
And James, as you mentioned on this week on Broadway, we will start to figure out what shows are going to be performing and what they will be performing and who is actually going to get a spot over the next few days. We will have a lot more information about the telecast throughout the week. Okay. Uh, we're in that 20-plus minute re- region, but what do we have in recommendations? All right, I'll get through these real quick. First up, Town performed on CBS this morning on Saturday. It was a nice package with Anais Mitchell and Rachel Chavkin as well as Andre DeShields. The cast performed a kind of concert-style version of Wait For Me and Chips Are Down, which is cool that they gave the Fates a, a chance to shine on national TV. Oklahoma released a music video for People Will Say We're In Love, and let's just say it put the sexy in sexy Oklahoma, so check that one out. And then it's that time of year. Laura Benanti explains the plays of the Broadway season. The, the line of this episode was, To Kill a Mockingbird is about Celia Keenan-Bolger winning a GD Tony Award. Preach, Laura. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll get the musical version of that sometime this week, James. All right. And uh, wrapping up, what do we have in other news? Okay, some interesting stuff, James. First on Friday, the Actors' Equity Association announced that 79% of their membership have approved of series of changes to the union's constitution, which includes the creation of a national convention. AEA's executive director, Mary McColl, said, quote, with delegates from across the country, a national convention will allow more members to have a voice in their union. I'm thrilled that equity members have voted to create a more inclusive and forward-looking union. Also announced on Friday, Vassar and New York New York Stage and Film revealed the initial casting for their powerhouse season. Included in that announcement were Raul Esparza, Raul Esparza, Solea Pfeiffer, Michael Esper, Michael Sue Rosen, Colton Ryan, and more. And fi- finally, in another oddly timed press release at around 5.30 on Friday evening, the Atlantic Theater Company announced their 2019-2020 season, including a show that we actually already knew about. That show is the world premiere of the new musical Bedwetter, based on the memoir by co- uh, comedian and, and actress Sarah Silverman, who is co-writing the book with Josh Harmon and lyrics by Adam Schlesinger, who is also writing the music. Also in the Atlantic season will be the world premiere of Jack Thorne's Sunday, directed by Lee Sunday Evans, another world premiere by Ebony Booth called Paris, directed by Knudy Adams, the U.S. premiere of Anatomy of a Suicide by Alice Birch, directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz, the world premiere of a collection of one-act plays by acclaimed filmmaker Ethan Cohen, called A Play as a Poem, directed by Neil, Neil Pepe, and finally the world premiere of the kids' musical The Big One O, or One O, exclamation point, Anyway, whatever you got to see it uh, by Doug Besterman, Dean Pitchford and Timothy Allen McDonald based on the novel by Pitchford and directed by M.K. Lawson. For more information on this or any of the shows in t- or stories in today's show, please check out the show notes on BroadwayRadio.com. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Matt, if I had to ask you, on this date, June 3rd in 1975, what was Jerry Orbach, Cheetah Rivera, and Gwen Verdon doing? Would you have an answer? I would. I mean, with that kind of lead, I would imagine opening the original production of Chicago. Ding, 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 ding. You win. <laughs> you kind of gave you kind of set that one up on a silver platter. Well, thanks for spending some of your Monday with us and kicking off the week. It's going to be a week. So strap in and we will be with you all the way through it. And Matt and I'll come back and talk with you tomorrow. Maybe with a special guest. 